Welcome to Lunch Break with the Village. I am Yvette Young, the Associate Vice President of Programs and Advocacy at the Village for Families and Children. Uh, we are so thrilled that you're joining us uh, today for our broadcast, and we would love to know where you are logging in from. So please comment um, your location, your organization, um, where you're calling in from or viewing from uh, today. We'd love to hear from you. So today is part two of our racial trauma uh, discussion. Our part one aired two weeks ago and that episode is available on the village.org slash lunch break uh, website. So if you wanna watch, you didn't get a chance to watch it, you have an opportunity to do so. Um, but nonetheless, we'll still make sure that you have the information you need to be able to follow along today. So with me again um, on this episode is Unique Grant from our adult services program at the Village. Um, and she will be, you know, going in depth today on how do we heal and move forward from racial trauma. But before she goes into that aspect of the dialogue, uh, she'll start our conversation with a brief recap um, of what is racial trauma so that we can um, have that as a foundation to our understanding going into this conversation. Um, welcome, Unique. Thank you for joining us. Before you begin, I just wanted to just let folks know we will be taking questions from the audience. So please, at any point you have a question, please uh, uh, place it in the comment box and we will make sure we get to as many questions as we can um, for this broadcast. All right, so Unique, thank you so much for being with us again. Um, it's great to see you. And let's start the discussion with a brief recap on what is racial trauma. Absolutely, and thank you guys for having me. So last uh, two weeks ago, what we did is we jumped into first, of course, the definition or how we define racial trauma. And what I gave as a definition is a racial discriminatory event or multiple events that BIPOC individual, and BIPOC just simply means Black Indigenous or people of color. So that's the acronym BIPOC. Okay. Um, and what these individuals experience as physically or emotionally threatening. So these events tend to have a lasting effect on the person's functioning. Um, the events include but are not limited to humiliation based on race, shaming events, witness and harm to other BIPOC individuals. And all of these can be direct or indirect. Um, I know we jumped a bit into just who is affected and how it shows up. Um, just a brief uh, synopsis of the systems, I'm sorry, the symptoms would just more so be um, avoidance, negative emotional state, um, exaggerated beliefs of the world, or hypervigilance. And then I, I out a name, which was Dr. Um, Nadine Burke, who spoke a lot about just the physical symptoms that come along with it and how it affects um, just BIPOC individuals on a larger scale and the research that she's done into that. Um, in terms of racial trauma, we did say that although it does affect a lot of people of color, Blacks tend to be affected a little bit more, a lot more actually, than most mm -hmm. groups because we tend to be further away from what we would call the European standard of normal. So be the further away you are from it, the more discrimination you tend to face. So, okay. Yeah, so those are the things that I definitely wanted to kind of touch on. I know that we didn't get a chance to go into just the intergenerational part of it. So what I wanted to just throw out there for everyone to know is that research has shown that trauma can result in epigenetic alterations. And this simply means that it can literally change the gene expressions and pass down from generation to generation, resulting in our children, right? BIPOC individuals and BIPOC children being a lot more sensitive to race-based experience. 
So pair that with the fact that there's a lack of representation. Um, it then leads to a deficit in self-esteem, right? So how we view ourselves, we tend to internalize all these narratives that are out there um, and view a lot of things as unattainable because we don't, we don't necessarily see other BIPOC individuals attaining it. Um, so it's just, there's just so much to it. Yeah, it's a very, um, <clears throat> I think what's clear is it's a very complex issue. It's not one that you can decipher in a short conversation. It requires a lot of um, education and doing research and conversations. But I think what is great about what you're sharing is it gives us some foundation to stand on and for folks to be able to digest how impactful racism is in the lives of people of color and the damage that it truly does um, to those individuals in regards to their mental health and physical health. Um, so when we think about the fact that it is having such a massive impact on well-being and the fact that it is moving from generation to generation and that it will take generations to repair um, the damage that has been done, right? And so even if we were to end racism tomorrow, the impact that it has had, the trauma that it has left in our minds and our bodies and our spirit will take generations to repair. Um, and I think sometimes people lose um, the fact that it is that impactful, that it's not just a minor issue, but it really does take a toll. So keeping that in mind, what do we do to heal? Because at this point, healing is the only option, right? It's for us to one, change the system and get rid of systemic racism and create a world of equity. But in the process of that, how do people heal that have experienced racial trauma? Right. So I always say that it's not so much how do we heal, it's the question of how do we begin to heal? Because mm -hmm. healing is such a complex thing to talk about that it, it's multi-layered. So I always say it's a matter of beginning the healing process and then recognizing that things will ebb and flow as you continue mm -hmm. to heal it because healing is messy, right? Things will come up that may trigger you, all of the above. So I usually start off by saying that we need to recognize that this is a mental health issue, right? So awareness mm -hmm. is absolutely the first piece of this. As we begin to learn more about how racial trauma affects individuals, we can then tackle it appropriately through adequate treatment. So right now, majority of the treatment available for trauma, because I am a trauma therapist, it's based on European perspectives and therefore it lacks cultural relevance. So mm. I always try so hard when I'm dealing with a BIPOC individual to sit here and have to adjust it based on who's in front of me, based on what they're going through. And those things are normal, but that's not something that everyone knows how to do. So we need to be clear that that's something that needs to be taught across the board. Um, there was a huge push for cultural competency before because we recognize this. So now the push needs to be, okay, let's add how to be anti-racist on top mm. of the cultural right? So, so let me have you pause for a second there, right? Because, I mean, the healing process is going to be very complex, and, you know, we're going to have a lot of conversation around that. But I wanted to just anchor where you are right now, which is this idea of the models that we use clinically are not um, based on, you know, cultural racial sensitivity, right? And so... What are some recommendations um, when, you, when you talk about being an anti-racist um, with a focus like that? What does that mean? What does that look like? So for anyone who's listening right now going like, wow, I didn't think about that. I want to definitely be able to provide a service that is meaningful for a person of color. What would you recommend to help them be able to do that work? So a lot of it will be recognizing that there's a huge difference between empathy and sympathy and a mm. huge difference 
between intent and impact. So I always use those as just the baseline to say, cultural competency is more being aware that you have biases, that they may come up. Being anti-racist is the action that goes with it. How do mm -hmm. I clearly show that I'm being anti-racist? How do I make statements that are aligned with what, I'm, what I feel you know, I need to be? So how do I make statements that are not invalidating the person in front of me? Right, so not using blanket statements, and I'll, I'll get into that a bit more, but not using blanket statements such as if someone's sharing an experience, you say something like, well, not all white people are the same. Like, we're, we're aware of that. And that's a blanket statement that then invalidates the experience that I just mm -hmm. went through. And that's not okay. Your intent behind it is you're trying to comfort me in some way, but the impact it has is completely different. So literally anti-racist is the action of literally trying to dismantle racism in a specific way, whatever that way may look like, based on your comfort level. Excellent. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. So I'd say that with the awareness piece needs to be a dive into history. And this is the piece that we're missing worldwide, right? We're not taught about Black history when it comes to schools or anything like that. So diving into the history of and reading things such as, you know, like Dr. Joy reading Dr. Janet Helms, um, Resma. Resma Menachem is an, has an awesome book that's out there, right? But beginning to get a bigger picture of the history of BIPOC individuals so that it not only promotes a sense of pride and patriotism, but also gives hope, right? And it's that hope piece that's needed. And it's that piece that BIPOC individuals are missing that can help them to break these negative stereotypes and help them to change this narrative that they've been given of what black looks like, what black should mm -hmm. sound like, what black is, right? Everyone trying to define this idea of blackness and that narrative needs to be broken. And in order to break that narrative, we need to see where we're coming from so that we can recognize all these different significances in history and literally claim that and change it to what we need it to be. Okay, so what are some more of the, the healing process, the journey towards because what you're sharing with us is really rich in regards to some of the system things, the awareness issues, the conversations, the dialogue that needs to happen to help in that healing process. What else can an individual who feels that they are suffering from racial trauma need to do um, to get to the other side? So I actually want to break this down into two different parts um, to make it very specific and to give everyone takeaway from it. So I'll start first with the actual BIPOC individuals that are dealing with it, right? So as I stated, we need to recognize that it is a mental health issue. We need to learn about the symptoms that we're having so that we can identify when we're having them and actually seek the help that's needed, right? We are very big on the village mentality. Reach out to your village if you're experiencing these symptoms. There's strength in numbers and there are individuals that are willing and absolutely able to help with this in any way possible, right? So have a support system just in case you don't have your own, reach out and create a support system, right? Self-care is a huge one. It's not only important, but it's actually very, very necessary. Ongoing trauma takes a toll and you need to learn to disengage when necessary. So I always say that this is kind of translated to the burden isn't all yours. So you're not expected to always be pressured to define racism to someone or respond to questions if you don't want to or explain your stance or your feelings if you don't want to. Unless you're comfortable, you are allowed to disengage and you're allowed to redirect your resources that that person can reach. Have boundaries and encourage others to respect them 
because all of this is like a huge, huge process, right? Find ways to show up in the ways that you're comfortable. So recognizing that in this fight, um, I always reference a sports team. In this fight, we have multiple players. We all have one goal, but there are multiple players in different positions. You do not have to be a frontliner, right? You can be a community organizer. You can be someone that, such as myself, who just does the healing work, which is, okay, you've been struggling, come to me, we can talk this through, let's process and heal, and then you can go back out there. There are multiple roles that you can play so that you are comfortable fighting this huge thing that we're facing together. So it's just a matter of recognizing all these specific pieces and creating the support system needed so that you can actually gain the knowledge you need to to begin healing. Okay. That's specific just to BIPOC. To allies, it's kind of a different scenario, right? With that, it's figuring out where you are in your racial identity. I point everyone all the time, no matter where I talk, I point everyone to Dr. Janet Helm's book on racial identity to recognize for allies where you are on that spectrum, right? Acknowledge it, work through it, and focus on your why. Unless you focus on your why, which is why am I an ally? Why am I standing for this? Um, why am I fighting these injustices? It will get very difficult and it will get very tiresome. It's <laughs> right? As a black individual, I deal with this on a daily basis. So I know how to push through and fight, right? For an ally, it's not as simple because it's one of those things where honestly speaking, you can say to yourself, well, you know what? I'm not really affected by this and this is a little too hard. I'm, I'm done. So I always say, go back to your why when you're tired. Absolutely go back to your why. Invest time in learning, right? Make an actual commitment to trainings, readings. As I said, history is such a huge part of it. And if you're not aware of the history of it, you will not, you will not get the pieces that you need, right? Validate, huge. Validate the impact of racism. As I said, avoid the blanket statements, right? Recognize that even though your intentions may be good, you may have an adverse impact and you need to recognize that and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Let me rephrase this, right? Mm -hmm. You're not a bad person for having implicit biases or any of that. We all have them. I have them, you have them, we mm -hmm. all have them. You're not a bad person for having them. It's a matter of when you recognize that you have them, what then are you going to do with it, right? How are you going to have a changed behavior that then follows it? Um, being cautious of stereotypes is another one I always throw out there, which is just working on addressing that. Ask questions, get curious. If you ask a question and someone's not able to answer, as I said, and as I said on the other side, there may be some boundaries there, you're able to research this. You're able to ask someone else, but get curious. I think the other thing is recognizing that, and this is something that others may disagree with me on this, so I always say this is just my perspective, right? Um, recognizing that we are not necessarily, once again, to my allies, we're not necessarily blaming you for our history. What we're saying is acknowledge where the history is, what took place, the damage that has been done, and then stand beside us to work to break the systems that keep these oppressions in place, right? Your fight is valued, and we are not sitting here trying to make you feel shameful or anything about it. We just need you to stand beside us and take down the systems that keep us oppressed and continue to have this perpetual cycle of damage, right? Yeah. 
And I think one of the things that, you know, as you say that <clears throat> I think about is, you know, when you have privilege and you have power and you have access, how do you leverage that? And how do you use that? Because in this issue of racism, it is a power, privilege, and access issue most of the time, and it's who has it and who doesn't have it, right? And so when you talk about allies, the, the reason there is a need for allies is because there are individuals who have privilege, power, and access and can actually start to dismantle the systems that are oppressing others or can demand change within those systems because they may look like the individuals who are holding power or have access to the individuals who are making the decisions to and so I think that's a really valid point um, when folks ask about or is thinking about, well, what does allyship really mean, which we'll be talking about in our next episode. But I think that piece that you mentioned is, is really critically important. Absolutely. I have many friends who are allies and the questions that I get asked, which I love, is something as simple as how do I amplify your voice? Mm. Right? <laughs> something as simple as that is a huge deal to me because that shows that you're standing beside me and caring, right? Standing in the gap and saying, okay, I may not know about this specific topic, but you know what, I'm on Facebook. Let me share these articles that I'm seeing so that the people that are in my circle are able to recognize like, hey, this is a problem. We need to pay attention to it. So I always refer to it as standing in the gap and recognizing that there are certain spaces that we may not always have access to as um, BIPOC individuals, but you do. And this is where you can use, utilize yourself. Okay, so I'm going to pause there for a minute because I just want to remind our audience that we do have the opportunity uh, to take questions. Um, so if, as you're listening, um, you have some questions you would like to ask uh, to Unique, please write those now in the comment section. Um, so in the last 10 minutes of the broadcast, we can address the questions that you have and get them answered uh, before our conversation uh, wraps up today. So take a few minutes now and get those questions in so we can start discussing them before our program ends. So you started talking about, you know, I think the ally piece is critically important. How do allies, you talked about standing the gap, so please, you know, expound upon that as much as you need to. But the other piece that I would like for you to talk about a little bit and share is, you know, how do allies help in the healing process? So a lot of the work that I've been helping with in terms of telling allies that they can jump in um, is redirecting to spaces, safe spaces for mm -hmm. their, whether it's colleagues, friends, or clients, if they haven't seen the healing professionals such as myself, right? Not only that, but there's a list, which I won't get into full detail, but there's a whole list of things that if you are a clinician that's not of color, you can do while you're in a session with a BIPOC individual to break that barrier and allow them to feel very comfortable. Here at the village, I can definitely say that our clinicians are like, we're really, really fortunate to have clinicians that literally not only do the work, but do the research needed. I know here in the adult services department, I had reached out for feedback and it was amazing to hear my fellow clinicians share with me all the different things that they're doing in their sessions, such as giving encouragement, right? Literally having a list of resources if needed not only resources of clinicians of color, if that person happens to say, you know what, I really can't talk about this with you and them being okay with that, but then also resources in terms of learning history that's needed, resources in terms of healing that's needed for the BIPOC community. So all of these specific things, it's having the, having the, the guts, I'll say the guts, for lack of a better word, <laughs> having the guts to say, you know what, I may not be able to help you with this, but here's who can. And every single feedback that I've gotten 
from the clinicians here that are not of color has been just that. I'm encouraging, I'm recognizing where I am, I'm literally trying my best to validate and I'm asking questions. If I'm not sure how to respond to something, I'm asking, hey, where do you need me right now? What can I do right now to show you that I'm here standing beside you? And that's really the basis of it. If you're unsure, ask. ask. That's a good point. That's a really valid point. And so with that in mind, um, there's a question that came in um, related to, you know, if I am a, a white individual and I want to be an ally and I want to be supportive and I want to um, help in this, you know, area, but I have fear that I might say the wrong thing or I may make a comment that, you know, may further traumatize an individual because of my lack of understanding or awareness. How do we manage or how do we support and encourage folks who want to help, who want to be visible, but fear that they may be seen as, oh, you don't understand this work and, you know, you're making comments that are dam damaging to others. What would your advice be to those types of individuals? I'm going to redirect to what I just said ask. Here's why I say that, right? The perfect example is um, yesterday, a close friend of mine wanted to comment on my hair and she was literally saying, you know, that's a really fun hairstyle. Like, that's awesome. And she paused and she's like, wait, I don't want to say fun if that's, you know, considered inappropriate. She said, you know, how am I, how can I respond to this? Or how can I say like, this looks amazing. And I, I responded in whatever way I was comfortable. And that was it, right? And she does that really often. She's really great with just asking, hey, I'm not sure how to word this because I don't want it to sound this specific way, but this is what I'm trying to say. Can you give me more direction so that next time I want to say something, I know where to go or I know what to say. So find someone you're comfortable with and you're able to ask. And once again, if someone's not able to answer or just not in the mental or emotional space to answer, respect that and then outsource, right? Look into resources mm -hmm. that can help you. Okay. Um, there's another question. Let me make sure I grab it. Is it further damaging or traumatizing for allies to share violent images, etc., on social media when trying uh, to bring awareness? That's a tough one to answer. Here's why. It absolutely damages. It does damage in just the sense of secondary trauma, vicarious trauma, all the above, right? It definitely does damage to the person looking at it. However, I recognize that in a lot of instances, those visuals are needed to evoke the reaction of this needs to change, right? Mm -hmm. So I always say that that's based on an individual um, perspective, which is if you recognize that you're not in a space to look at this, bypass it, literally scroll past it, right? That's the best that we can do. Okay. So one of the things I wanted to spend a few minutes as we're going to get close to wrapping up is talking about is... You know, we, we have um, had or people talk a lot about the talk that parents have to have with children of color to prepare them um, for going out into the world and the potential risk that exists for them. And that in doing that and having those conversations that sometimes that is evoking trauma in children and bringing up fear and worry um, about how um, they think about their parents or their siblings or others, right? We uh, watched a really good video at our virtual community meeting um, a month or so back, and you saw kids crying as the parents were having this conversation with them. So uh, for any parent that is listening in um, that has to have these talks or have these, have these conversations, how do they minimize the traumatic experience that that child might be having just 
preparing them. So this child has maybe not have experienced anything yet, but they're trying to prepare them so they manage those situations well. Is there anything that you would recommend or suggest parents do to help minimize that traumatic experience for the children? I definitely think that everything that's shared with regards to trauma is always, it always needs to be age appropriate. So we need to prepare our children regardless of the fact for what could happen. I think that as we do it in age appropriate ways and continue to do it little by little, um, as long as we're countering it with that resiliency piece, right, which is such as my daughter exposing her to, you know, people that are not of color, that are amazing, so that she recognizes that, hey, this can happen, right, so she knows what racism is and all the above, um, but then pairing it with, hey, there are all these other people that also, you know, are standing by our side that are doing that. So balancing the fact and reality of it, along with the resiliency, which you as a parent can manage, mm -hmm. just by continuing to give validations, affirmations, all the above, because it's needed. When we think about regular trauma, such as, you know, teaching our children not to talk to strangers or not to get into strange cars, it's the same thing. We teach our children this from young and it could mm -hmm. absolutely damage them, but we still do it because it's necessary. It's the same thing with racial trauma. It's needed and it's just a matter of balancing it and making sure it's age appropriate. Okay. Um, so for our audience, we have about five more minutes left of the broadcast. If you have a burning question that you would like to ask, uh, please feel free to throw that in the chat. Um, so as we continue to, to wrap up, what are, in summary, because I think, you know, this is where we are in this process, but in summary, what are the key takeaways you want uh, folks who've been watching this broadcast uh, to know about racial trauma, to what should they do with the information that they have learned thus far, um, as far as how they apply it into their uh, personal lives or even uh, in the work that they do? I would want everyone to take away the fact that just as it is with other complex trauma, it is a mental health issue. That's the first and foremost important thing, right? A lot of people look at it as, oh, this is just a in-the-moment thing that's happening because someone else has gotten killed by police brutality. No, this is something that has been ongoing. Um, in another forum, I had someone show a video of the Golden Girls. It's a specific episode of the Golden Girls where they were talking about the Confederate flag and that conversation of racial trauma. And this is, we're talking in the 80s at this point. So mm -hmm. it's an ongoing thing that has never died down. It's just now that we have access to the media, you guys are getting it a lot more and seeing it a lot more in your face. So recognizing that it's a mental health issue, bringing awareness to it in the way that's needed, and then recognizing that your fight in it can be in a place where you're addressing it in a comfortable way. And I always stress that just because a lot of people tend to internalize this guilt and shame of, well, I'm not out there protesting, right? Or I'm not doing X, Y, Z. I'm not doing what the next person is doing in this fight, so I'm not good enough. Or my you know, my fight in this is not valued. And that's absolutely not true. Show up in whatever ways you can and recognize that there are multiple roles that you can play to bring this to the forefront and get change done. Okay, excellent. No, and I agree with you on that. I think we all struggle with the, as we see our colleagues or we see our friends or we see celebrities or we see anyone, you know, out doing things that are visible that the assumption is unless you're visual and people are seeing you do the work, that means that that's where the value exists. Um, but in actuality, it's the individual uh, decisions and choices you make. It's the conversations you're having in your home with your family members. It's the, you know, um, requests that you make privately in certain settings to say this has to end or has to change. That there is a lot of value in those moments 
um, in the quiet moments behind the scenes that are not witnessed by everyone that actually matters um, just as much as the people who are, you know, face front and doing the work. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I think everyone needs to understand that there is value um, in the work that they're doing to, to eradicate um, systemic racism and that um, in the process of doing uh, this very difficult work, how important it is um, to do self-care, right? Um, because of how much of a toll it takes on your mind, body, and spirit. Um, so I, I so appreciate um, you joining us for this two-part series. I think that you know, as I said in the first episode, this is such a timely conversation. There is such a need um, for folks to understand the impact of racism um, on the lives of uh, people of color. I think you've done an exceptional job really highlighting that impact. Um, and I think you've also highlighted that there is uh, work, there's services there to support this. And I think, you know, the beauty of today's conversation um, is that you know, a lot of people don't think about it as a mental health issue, but now they will. Um, and individuals who might be struggling um, with, um, with this issue now know that they can get some help and get some supports that they need to be able to heal from uh, the experiences that they're having. So I really appreciate uh, you taking the time and joining us. Um, so we're going to... Um, so actually, before I wrap up, there was a question about what was the book that was recommended for reading? Um, there were a couple. If the person speaking about racial identity and where they stand, that's Dr. Janet Helms. Okay. Um, in terms of her children's book, I know I gave a lot of resources, but Vashti Harrison has a book that I use with my daughter, um, as well as my daughter's best friend, who is Caucasian, and we literally here and age appropriate it talks about all these amazing black figures in history and it leads them to celebrate diversity instead of having this very skewed narrative that we've been fed mm -hmm. so i always say in trauma when you claim the narrative and reframe it and make it something different you can absolutely change your outlook on it okay excellent and um this reminds me as i'm closing up our our episode for today um is that we do have resources available that are downloadable on uh, the village's website and available through facebook as well um so if you are looking for those resources if you go to the village.org slash lunch break you'll see the download that was uh shared for the first episode and it is a very comprehensive um, resource, so please uh, take um, get access to that and utilize it. I want to share with you that our next episode will air on July 16th at noon. Uh, our topic for that discussion is going to be on allyship, and we are fortunate to have Dr. Mesa Akbar uh, with us on that day to share uh, her research and her expertise and knowledge in this area. So I highly recommend uh, that you guys join us for that and that you notify your friends and colleagues about that episode. As always, know that we are available and you can access us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. You can also access us on our website for more information and to get information about upcoming episodes. Um, once again, Unique, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you and I appreciate your expertise. Um, and for the audience, we appreciate your participation and your attendance with us today and your willingness to learn about racial trauma. Um, and as I said last week, uh, the village is here to support any individual who is struggling with any mental health issues, whether it's racial trauma or anxiety, et cetera. And that 
we want you to know that we are here for you. We are here to provide you with services and support. So please access us if you are in need. There is no reason for anyone to sit in silence and isolation as they're struggling uh, through mental health issue. Um, the stigmas that have been there, we need to eradicate. Um, so if you need help, you need support, we're there for you. We have a diverse uh, community of individuals doing this work. And so please access us for that support. So with that, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. And until the next time, be well.